Hi and welcome to my podcast Pregnant in Japan, your podcast about pregnancy, birth and the joy of a relaxed motherhood in Japan. My name is Vicky, I'm a German mom living in Tokyo. I'm sharing my positive birth experience to inspire you with yours. Uh, today we have uh, Alice Nakae. She's originally from Australia and actually she is today my guest for the second time. Uh, last time we talked about the birth, uh, her birth story uh, at the Tokyo Eero Center. Um, and uh, today we will talk about the IVF um, process that she went through. And um, yeah, I'm really happy to have you here again. Thanks, Alice, for um, your time today again. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me again. It's, um, it's good to, you know, have another topic, something that I can contribute to our website. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alice. <laughs> so the IVF, it's um, in vitro fertilization, right? It's a process um, that helps of the conception of a child, right? Okay, before we jump into the topic, um, you know, I like to ask the unconventional questions and last time you already answered two and now I have two more for you. <laughs> last time I asked you about the your, one of your favorite places in Japan and because you're um, from Australia and now I know you are more of a nature side, um, I would like to ask you what do you like? Uh, what places do you like in Australia? Um, well, obviously it's my home country, so there's so many wonderful places that I do love there. But I really, after moving to Japan, that was when I really sort of appreciated them because I didn't have them anymore. So that sort of nature side of, instead of just one location, I would probably say more of just the Australian bush, bush walking and, and the gum trees that they have, that they have, that we have, um, is, it's just so wonderful. The smell is amazing. And when you're on the Gold Coast as well, which is where my family lives now, um, then you can actually, from the bush area, you can see the white sand at the beach and the ocean from the mountains. And it's just spectacular. <sighs> Sounds wonderful. I have to admit, um, but I heard the word bushwalking and gum trees for the first time. Oh, <laughs> so, really? Okay, maybe it's uh, my my English that's not perfect. <laughs> Just a, vo a vocabulary <laughs> not completed. <laughs> oh, bushwalking is is not like hiking, right? Some um, kind of like hiking. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it might be a very unique Australian thing. I'm not sure, but um, the, I'm pretty sure the gum trees are an Australian tree. And then, which the koalas love, incidentally. And um, yeah, and bushwalking is basically just, it could be not necessarily hiking, hiking up a you know, big mountain or anything, but it just includes being out in nature and walking, whether it's a, you know, a little path or whether it's a longer trek style walk. Right, right. And gum tree, is it um, uh, with an eucalyptus smell? No? Yes, yes. So yes, they're also okay. called eucalyptus trees. Oh, okay, okay. Thing. Now I got it because I googled it Gumtree and then they popped up. Um, there's, I think, a big company Gumtree, like a marketplace. And yes, I'm like, yes, <laughs> okay. okay, anyways, thank you. And the sure. second question Are you, before having a baby, of course, are you more a morning or evening night person? 
Um, I've always been a morning person, but it was just sort of slightly changed the hours. So I used to wake up around seven and that was my usual morning start. But now um, it sort of it sort of gradually went to 6am and then now I wake up at five with my baby. So um, I love being a morning person. I, you know, whether I see the sun come up or it's, you know, still, um, or it's already up and I just, just love that feeling in the morning before everybody else is awake. It's yeah. so nice. I agree. It's like the uh, golden hour, the hour of power, right? Yeah. When you can get done things when everybody sleeps, the cell phone is uh, quiet still. Uh, no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, let's get started on the IVF um, because I'm sure you know more, a lot more about the IVF process than me. Could you just briefly explain what it is? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not a professional, first state that. So um, I'm just stating information as I understand it. I've just through the research and going through the process myself. Um, so basically, like you said, IVF stands for in vitro fertilization. So it's basically just a fertility treatment where fertilization takes place outside the body. And um, then you're given certain hormones that stimulate the ovaries and then produce eggs and then they're collected and uh, along with some sperm as well. And then they're placed together in a lab. And then if, depending on whether or not there are issues with the sperm quality, like low motility or numbers or, or things, there are options for um, guys as well, but um, where you can have the sperm directly injected into the egg, or you can just have the egg and lots of sperm in a Petri dish and the sperm finds the egg naturally. So um, there are two sort of different methods of which one you want to go. But the doctor that we went to suggested that we do kind of a half direct um, insemination of the sperm directly into the egg and the other half is just kind of let them find their way. So, um, and then basically once the fertilization is successful, then the embryos are left to develop for a few days um, in the clinic. And then whether they're successful or not, they will record that, let you know. And then you transfer one back at a time and see if it's a successful implantation or not. And then you right. can freeze the remaining for future use if you like. Right. Sounds uh, complex. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think so I went a bit too far. Technology. <laughs> Okay. No, I think I got it. Okay. <laughs> May I ask um, what made you decide to have the or to, to go to the IVF process? Well, what, what's I, your I, story? Um, yeah, no, I had PCOS or I was told I had PCOS from about the age of 19. And um, so just then, short interruption, sorry, uh, the PCOS, like it's a hormonal yeah. disorder or? Um, it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. So um, it just basically means that in your ovaries, you have the eggs don't develop properly and they develop cysts. Instead, they don't actually fully grow into an egg and release. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I would never get my my menstrual cycle would never come or it would come, you know, every eight months or 10 months or something very irregularly. And um, so there's lots of different levels of PCOS. Mine's quite mild. There are lots of people who have it a lot worse than I do. 
Um, but that was kind of my level. I just didn't get my menstrual cycle much, if ever. And um, yeah, the eggs didn't grow enough to actually be released. So I was told that when I was 19. And then, um, so when I began dating my husband at 24, I told him that I had this and that it would probably be difficult for me to have kids in future. And is he okay with that, you know, process that we'd have to go through? Um, so then I was on medication just to kind of help keep the whole system, you know, because if you don't ovulate, um, then it can make the condition in your womb and in your ovaries worse because you can get a buildup of blood and things like that. So um, just to, to get my menstrual cycle coming every month, I had to take medication. So I took that. And then, um, then from there we thought, okay, we're going to need probably some kind of, you know, whether it's IVF or some other form to conceive. And so first of all, I sort of tried rounds of Clomid, which is pretty common. Um, and then it's like oral medication Clomids or, um, it's the one I took was oral. Yes. They had tablets and there's quite a lot of sort of tablets and injections for different hormones and different things, depending on your stage. And also it depends on your disease for want of a better word, um, your condition and your level of PCOS or whatever that condition is. So for me, yeah, I took um, oral Clomid and that was when I was 27. We decided, you know, now would probably be a good time to start in case it takes us a long period of time. So um, yeah, then we, we tried the Clomid for about a year and it was unsuccessful each round, um, which was a bit disheartening at the time because I was actually quite um, against IVF personally. I just didn't really want to go down that road if I could avoid it. Um, but you know, we tried for a year and I thought, well, let's give IVF a go. After talking to my husband, we decided that's what we would do. So we, um, we decided to go ahead with that and just be grateful for the fact that that technology exists. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the, basically the rest of the story is we, I had to take a lot of injections and at home and at the clinic, um, My husband gave me the ones at home because I don't have the guts to do myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you reset your body for menstruation. They make your um, womb all, you know, to sort of well reset your body as much as possible, as well as possible, so that you have a good environment for the egg to implant afterwards. And um, then, yeah, the, the process took about two months for me um, from start to finish. And then I was told, yeah, at the end of that two months that I had had a successful implantation. So that was lucky. <laughs> that was happy news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, to resume. So one year of Clomid, right? Mm -hmm. Then you decided to, was it you who, you decided it or did the doctor suggest you could, um, now yeah. it would be a good time to start to think True. about IVF? Yeah, he, um, he it was actually the doctor who first suggested it. And he said, would you like to consider IVF? Originally, I said, no, thank you. And I would like to try another round of Clomid. We tried, unsuccessful. And then I said, okay, let's do IVF. Okay. IVF. So that was kind of quick, right? Two months? 
Yeah, or, or, yeah. 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 Yeah, it is um apparently it's on the, the quicker side of it and also to be successful first round is is quite lucky too. So I was very grateful for that. Right. Mm. Okay. And since um we are in Japan. <laughs> you you did of course the whole process uh here in Japan in Tokyo. Did you ever happen to compare it to your home country or research over there? Um, or... I never actually researched it too thoroughly in Japan, in Australia, sorry, because um, I was already living over here when we decided to do IVF. So um, it wasn't something yeah, that I ever had to look into over there. But I do know that there is an organization called IVF Australia that has a website with all the details of different options of fertility treatments, including IVF. And lots of other ones that um that people can look into if they're in Australia. Right. Okay, and I assume uh, it's not paid. You are underneath uh, Japanese health insurance, right? Yes. And uh, it's probably not covered. I'm guessing, or how how much are the costs? <laughs> yeah, it's always um you know IVF is very expensive, and fertility treatments are kind of on the secondary you know the government isn't quite up to covering that side of things so much yet so um even if you are included in japanese healthcare, where you only have to pay 30 percent of the total price of what something costs um there were sections of the treatment originally um, when i was doing clomid that was partly covered you know certain blood tests and and things they do to just sort of figure out where you're at um that was good that was covered but yeah the ivf cycle itself was not so we had to pay the full cost and um so it cost for us a year's worth including all of the clomid cycles and the ivf was a total of about 750,000 yen oh. um so yeah that the That's ivf alone yeah i think the Sorry, the IVF alone without the Clomid cycles was about 375,000 yen. Um, and then that also includes freezing the remaining eggs that they took. Yeah. Oh. So they, then they charge you every year to keep the eggs if you want. Okay. Uh, and is, uh, is this charge, the yearly charge, expensive? Um, it's actually only about to what was it two twenty thousand yen is the a year price per year yeah mm, okay so are there any subsidies for this treatment so i imagine uh, japan has the uh, or i know japan has the same problem as uh, germany not enough kids or babies so i wonder could they maybe support people who actually want to have babies <laughs> That's true. That's very true. They um, they have. I know they have support for once you have a, a child. You know, or they send you coupons and things right. for buying baby things. So, it would make sense. But um, yeah, they do. There's actually a, a website called JHI Japanese Healthcare Info. Um, it does have answers to a lot of questions regarding the Japanese healthcare system and what it covers. And there is a subsidy for fertility treatments up to three hundred thousand yen for first-time applications in Tokyo. I'm not sure about the rest of Japan, but in Tokyo, they have that. And um, But there is a number of conditions and the paperwork process is quite complicated. So you have to meet the criteria and then 
you know, complete all the paperwork. Mm. Um, I didn't know this existed before I did IVF, so I haven't tried applying for it myself, but I do know the option is there. Okay. So it sounded like a very complicated um, process to apply. And did you, do you have any idea how high the chances are that you get some financial support? Um, I think it is very dependent on circumstance and, um, but like you said, they, they are looking to increase the, the population in Japan. So um, I think that it's all, you know, in your favor, if you wanted to apply, I think the likelihood of getting it, if you can, you know, get through all the paperwork um, yourself and, and, um, and submit it all, then I think you would be quite likely to be able to get at least some of the subsidy, even if it's not the whole um, 300,000 yen. And the paperwork is, of course, in kanji, right? <laughs> in Japanese. <laughs> as far as I saw, there was no English option, but they may have come out with one. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> okay. At what time did you go from your gynecologist to a um, special clinic? Oh, I actually, um, from the beginning, when I was doing the treatments to just get my menstrual cycle um, back, I already knew that I would need to go to a sort of specialist clinic, I guess. So from the beginning, I just went to the same clinic and I didn't have to change um, once that process started. I did change clinics when I moved house, but that had nothing to do with where I was at and needing a professional or a specialist. Alice, to what clinic did you go to in Tokyo? Um, the clinic I went to is called Sangenjia Women's Clinic. So it's um, just obviously for women, but the, the men do come and if they have issues with the sperm as well to go along with their partner, then they're welcome to go as well. What was, um, were you satisfied with the clinic, with the doctor, with the atmosphere? Did you like it? Um, yes, actually, it was a, a very clean, lovely atmosphere and the staff were wonderful. So there's only one gynecologist there. Um, so he's male and he's very professional and kind. So a lot of people I have heard say when they go to a clinic that does have more than one doctor, They um, don't like the fact that they have a different doctor every time that they go. So I did appreciate being able to see the same person every time. He knew where I was at and, you know, my story. So um, that was nice as well. And um, they don't have an English, they don't really speak English and they don't have English on their website. Um, so that might be an issue for some people if they can't speak a relative you know, not, you don't need native level Japanese, but you know, if you Please. can't speak to a, yeah, a basic sort of level, conversation level. And, um, but I did see a couple of other foreign women attending the clinic. So um, definitely is a good option, I think. And if you could get maybe a Japanese person to come with you just for the initial um, sort of sign up and for any explanations that you have to hear from the um, gynecologist himself, But in terms of just going in for the, the blood tests or the checkups, um, you don't really need to speak too much Japanese to do that. Okay. I see. Once you were pregnant, did you have to go back? Um, I did, actually. For the first couple of weeks and ultrasounds, I continued to go to the clinic until they could confirm that 
um, everything was moving smoothly enough to continue into a pregnancy. And um, then once they had found the heartbeat of the baby, then I transferred to a hospital. Yes. <laughs> and would you do it again? Yes, yes, I would. I think I'm actually already thinking about it for our second baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good news. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think we um, covered quite a lot already. <laughs> if, even though we we haven't been talking for a long time, I feel like uh, you answered quite a lot of questions in the last minutes. <laughs> Sorry, I do tend to go on a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. So if there are other women in the same situation like you were in the past, is there anything you could recommend or... So maybe some kind of advice or some some encouraging words. <laughs> oh, I think um, there's probably two things I would say, which would be first, infertility can be very taxing on your mind and your body. And, you know, you have lots of injections. You've got to visit the clinic very frequently. And I think I went, you know, almost every second day for um, two weeks straight of every month. And um, so that, that can be quite hard. And you take, you know, multiple tablets, medicines, and depending on what your issue is, the reason that you need IVF, um, it, might be, it might look very different for you, but it is very taxing either way. And um, it can be uncomfortable and embarrassing, especially at first, you know. And um, once you get used to it, though, um, it's sort of, it isn't quite as embarrassing as you initially think. But um, I think just reminding yourself how lucky we are to live in a time where this is possible, you know, and if, if we'd lived a couple of hundred years ago and, and, you know, you just might have to not have kids or, um, you know, there's just so many other, other areas that could have, you know, appreciating that this is possible is important. And um, the second thing I would probably say is that to try and approach the whole process with as much positivity as you can, just feeling like you're calm and not stressed also keeps your body in a good state for a pregnancy. You know, it's sort of letting the, the baby know or the embryo know that um, you're ready to, to take it. And I find as well that probably a large reason of the reason that I was sort of successful first round with IVF was because I was quite relaxed and calm about the experience. And I think that just makes it easier. Your body is more willing to accept things when you're in that state. So um, just just trying to go into it with a, a, a calm and open mind and it'll give you the best environment that you can for the baby. Right. I mean, in any case, positivity is always a, a good thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the connection of uh, body and mind uh, is not uh, no. So there's no secret about it anymore, right? Yes, <laughs> we <exactly>. know that now. <laughs> yeah, so we can create with our mind. We can also create a welcoming atmosphere for the for the baby to come. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think so. <laughs> Alice, that was about it. Thank you so much um, yeah, for answering all these questions. And I know it's. Uh, Uh, these were very personal questions and thank you for being honest and frank and telling us all about it and your yeah 
your your story <laughs> yeah no it's my pleasure thank you very much i hope it helps somebody in some way <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> thank you alice thank you very much vicky